You are listening to Sonic Entanglements. Welcome to Sonic Entanglements, a podcast about sound history in Southeast Asia. My name is Mele Yamomo, and in this series, I will speak with historians, musicologists, media scholars, and sound archivists. Harry van Bissum is a media manager of the Netherlands Institute for Sound and Vision. We met in 2018 when Harry attended a workshop that I organized at the Transregional Studies Forum in Berlin. Welcome, Harry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Harry, what are you busy with right now? Last week I needed to work a lot on a, a film that will be premiere in two or three weeks from now. And uh, this is just a feature film, but they use like a lot of archival material because it's about uh, the Krakersrelle, the riots that we had in Amsterdam and uh, the crowning of the queen. Geen kroning, geen woning. So no crowning, no place to live. Doesn't rhyme so, as well in yeah. the English. Om zeven uur begaf een deurwaarder met enkele helpers zich naar de bezette panden, waarna slopers begonnen de deuren te rameien. Achter de deuren waren onder andere zware stalen platen gelast. Evenals veertien dagen tevoren werd ook nu weer een panzerwagen te hulp geroepen om de versterkte deuren van garages en schuren stuk te rammen. Ook een bulldozer werd hiervoor gebruikt. I helped them find a way how to actually have the archive because they used YouTube links but uh, then we needed to find where the real stuff was and also dealing with the broadcaster, in this uh, case the NOS, uh, like if they want to license this for this feature film and uh, yeah. For those who are not familiar with the Netherlands Institute for Sound and Vision, could you please tell us what it is? Mainly, we are the archive of the Dutch public broadcasters, so those are the television uh, uh, broadcasters, but also the radio broadcasters in the Netherlands. But we have uh, all kinds of different collections here. The RVD, which is the Rijksvoorlichtingsdienst. Is that the Government Information Agency? Yeah, so uh, you can think about voorlichtingsfilms. These are films that inform the public uh, about what to do when a nuclear attack will be here or what to do when your car hits the water etc we exist of a lot of different archives so uh, as you know we we have the we have a part of the audio collection of the trophy museum and that got here in 2001 but that's just one of the many collections that we hold we also have a uh, from the former uh, Small Film Museum, we have their amateur uh, footage uh, collection. So, uh, and that's a very rich collection as well. And uh, I think it's a nice collection because it gives you a really view of the Dutch culture. So from what I'm hearing from you, there used to be different media archives in the Netherlands that eventually came together to create a consolidated archival institution. Yeah. We, before we uh, had a different name, NAA, uh, the Nederlandse Audiovisuele Archief, the Dutch Audiovisual Archive. Mm -hmm. So, but for instance, we 
two or three years ago, we acquired also the Press Museum collection. So the print media? Yeah, it's print and uh, now we have that as well. But the same goes for the Tropen Museum. Um, you could make a point that it's not a very logical place to put it in uh, Beeld en Geluid. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we are a professional archive, so it is a good place for that collection to mm -hmm. have it here. So uh, it became the umbrella archival institution of the country. Yeah. So when did this begin? I do not know this because we exist of uh, several collaborations of different organizations and oh, because we, yeah, we have the old broadcasting museum collection, for instance, and that got here, I think, in the 90s. So then you're talking about objects that were used to <clears throat> make television and radio uh, shows. So we have like a, a lot of old microphones, a lot of old really heavy film cameras or uh, like the hearing play. And we have like these machines that, that we use and uh, you hear the sound of the wind. And it's like a really big object to just produce the sound of wind. So, and that's just one of the organizations that we have. And we had uh, a film museum as well, the Rijksvoorlichtingsdienst. We have, from the 50s on, we have uh, material that were actually broadcast on television uh, by a Dutch public broadcaster, the NTS. But how structural it was and from what moment on, I do not know this actually. Yes, yeah. and, so, and I think it's also a, a lot of it is like working backwards in time because we had this uh, very big digitalization project with uh, uh, three other institutes in the Netherlands. And that was like from 2007 till 2014, in which we digitized like a lot of material. Who funds the institute? Um, yeah, partly uh, the government. But because we have a museum as well, we have like paying visitors um, and we have big sponsors here as well. So we have partnerships. The Bank Giro Loterij always gives us funding. But I don't know too much about like the whole financing mm -hmm. of uh, mm -hmm. our institute, but I know it's uh, definitely part of where the tax money is going. So what kind of sounds do you collect? Are these recorded music and radio? Yeah, music and radio. I mostly know about this Tropen Museum collection, mm -hmm. but we have a lot of radio uh, recordings. So historical recordings, you can think about uh, Radio Oranje, which was like a station during World War II to inform the, the people who were under occupation. Yeah, we even have like uh, some broadcasts in, in which they uh, have these coded messages. Het tweede bericht luidt, wat vangt de jager? En nu hoort u het wekelijks overzicht van onze militairen. Uh, one of our main functions um, used to be to uh, be like this great uh, 
treasure box of material for uh, the Dutch public broadcasters to make their programs, but also for the radio stations. So we did have like a lot of uh, material, like just popular music, jazz music, classical music, uh, and then they would actually go to the phonotheque and ask like, ah, oh, can we have this uh, CD or uh, LP or whatever? And then they would use it in their show and then bring it back. So this was a service uh, that we used to do, but of course, uh, thanks to all the digitization and the platforms like Spotify, this service was like a bit old fashioned in recent years. So we I think we did it for one classical radio station still, but uh, maybe it's ended now. But there was like one station that actually still had requests for CDs here uh, and used this old service. Um, I, I actually do not know what we will do with it in future times because most of these records are somewhere else as well or are already on uh, Spotify, iTunes, etc. But another a big collection that we have is they used to make a hearing place, uh, radio dramas and uh, uh, we had people recording sounds for that and we still have those sounds as well so uh, sound effects yeah yeah so just uh, like somebody uh, did go visit the zoo and he recorded uh, sounds of animals or uh, he get into a tram and he recorded the tram sounds general noise in the Albert Kuyp market, uh, market in Amsterdam, for instance, so... Yeah, this is a big collection as well. Tropen Museum collection, of course, with uh, uh, a lot of recordings from other countries and uh, their songs. You said that earlier, the Institute was collecting mostly broadcasting and media materials. But now that you're collecting general audio and visual materials for archiving, what are the rules? Are there any categories in what you choose to be added in your collection? There is a criteria for new acquisitions and yeah, so it needs to be culturally and historically uh, relevant, but um, it used to be, I don't know if it's still the case, because I'm not working for the department, but uh, there needs to be a Dutch angle somewhere. So one of the makers or one of the singers or one of the interviewers need to be Dutch. That is a rule uh, for actually acquiring it. So uh, what kind of media formats do you work with? Actually, uh, quite a lot. Most mostly digital, mm -hmm. because a lot of uh, our material is already digital available. But sometimes we get a request. Um, a lot of the analog uh, carriers were already transferred to CDs. I think in two thousand and two. Okay. Mostly digital, I would say. Right. But in your collection, you still have the older analog media technology still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have. Um, yeah, we have wax cylinders as well in our collection. Yeah, so I think we have from the 1900s on, we have uh, different uh, types of carriers that contain audio, mm -hmm. music or uh, spoken word. 
and digitization is one of the key tasks of your institution. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, when I get requests of uh, archival footage that is only described and we do not have a digital version, then I will look into it and uh, see if we can get a digital version somehow, mm -hmm. uh, somewhere. Uh, and we have a whole department that do, does the actual uh, digitization, so the film preparation and then the actual scanning and then the post-production, uh, or how do you say it, yeah. colorization and stuff. So. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the role of the Netherlands Institute for Sound and Vision in the society today? Yeah, well, I, I, I would say that we actually have like a service role for mainly for the Netherlands and the, and the Dutch people living in the Netherlands. But if the collection thematically allow it, uh, why wouldn't we want to be an archive for people over the whole world, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, so I, I always view our archive as like a, a service to the community. Uh, and not, yeah, so you could say we are like a nodal point of uh, cultural heritage. Uh, yeah, I guess something like that, uh, an exchange point, uh, a place where you can talk about uh, old cultural objects. Yeah, I would like to see that we actively engage in like uh, exchanging uh, what we have here. And how do you see its future? Ah, yeah, that's interesting, especially with uh, uh, how easy it is now to have new works uh, uh, like on your uh, hard drive or hard disk. But I think, yeah, be, yeah, to have like an institution in which you can learn about the history of media, I think we do have a future as an archive because the past only gets more away in each year. And um, But yeah, uh, concretely we are like looking into new media forms like uh, gaming and online culture and like uh, I guess our near future is more like a make sure that the whole experience of media culture that you can actually have that at a place and have people working there that know a bit about it or at least that can show it to you and uh, so yeah I would hope that it will still exist in a thousand years to come of course. Yeah, I really like it that it's not economically dependent on popularity, but uh, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't know if everybody thinks about it that way, but uh, because you never know if it from uh, 40 or 400 years from now, if a specific item is relevant or not. And if you just look at the yeah, economic value, you could say today for like, let's throw it away because it takes up too many uh, space and then <laughs> 10 years later you're like ah you really you you threw that away uh, <laughs> i think we already lost a lot of history with archival materials just being accidentally just thrown away um, but who benefits from these materials that you collect who benefits from these recordings well the general public mm -hmm. uh, but also yeah so you could divide it into like the more the, the media professionals that can use it uh, for creating new works or documentaries, museums, uh, exhibitions. 
but also for uh, private people because there's also like a lot of requests come in here for like uh, I really want to have this show that was broadcast in the 70s and I really want to have it back and I cannot find it on YouTube <laughs> we get that a lot of course and I mean uh, it's also a collective memory uh, for a country right you could make a point that all these commercial websites uh, also have like a big database but you're never quite sure or they're least trustworthy in the long run so to speak so I think the whole goal of having an archive or a public archive for a country is maybe that you at least have the ambition to <laughs> keep it for a really long time and not uh, only when it's uh, economically relevant at that time. You mentioned the sound and music collection from the Dutch Royal Tropical Museum and the uh, Japkunst collection. Could you speak more about this? Yeah, my encounters with it is that we, in a depot, we found this bag with a yellow uh, sticky note on it saying Japkunst. And then uh, the dot tapes were there. And I found out later on that uh, the person in charge uh, that was busy with this collection, like uh, trying to get it into our digital archive, got another job in the middle of, of this process. So it, <laughs> this is not in many times the case, luckily, but uh, that, that was a strange encounter on working specifically for this Jaap Kunster collection because yeah, I also saw in emails that were sent out from Bild and Geluid to other institutes from like 2014. Yeah, we don't have these tapes. <laughs> and I was like, huh? how, how is this possible? But uh, so, yeah, it is also strange that not all collections are known or like if they are not processed uh, correctly or people go away in the midst of working on it and do not a proper handover to the new colleague yeah then the actual people working in the archive can forget that collections exist but anyway we found it and, and UFA also has uh, the same uh, CDs or dot tabs for our listeners UVA UVA stands for the University of Amsterdam and dot DAT stands for digital audio tape I think you were referring to my email I was tracing these records and I emailed um, the Tropical Museum um, several years ago inquiring about these recordings and I did not hear from them for several months. And by the time I received an email, I think there was a very long correspondence with different institutions all over the Netherlands because they were trying to trace where these sound recordings are. And that was when I was invited here at the Dutch Institute for Sound and Vision to show me the plastic bags of digital audio tapes of the Japkins collection. And that is also why we thought of inviting you to present these materials at the Conference on Colonial Sound History at the Transregional Studies Forum in Berlin. We need to put that within the context of the 2012 drastic budget cuts in the Netherlands. 
when many museums and cultural institutions were forced to shut down. I remember reading Facebook posts of these institutions desperately looking for other institutions or individuals who might want to adopt and provide new homes for their collections that were about to lose their homes. And that is why I think some of these ethnomusicological collections ended up here. And I heard that professors and students from the University of Amsterdam Music Studies Department found out that these recordings are now here at your institute and they have visited you to consult these materials. Tell me more about this. Ah, yeah, uh, from Barbara Titus. We had four uh, musicology students here and they wanted to see what kind of collections we had that uh, were from this Tropa Museum collection. They were mostly, I think, for this assignment, they were interested in how we archive. Uh, <laughs> so this was a nice uh, uh, test case for them because this is a very strange collection for us because, like I said about Japkunz, it's not stored properly and uh, yeah, we have it on different depots and why is that and uh, yeah. I, I think they learned how uh, an institute is like working on it, like numbering and putting in a catalogue and uh, how information ends up in systems and uh, how you would process such a collection. Yeah. I think that's all the time we have for now. Thank you very much again, Harry, for sharing your expertise with us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no problem. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sonic Entanglements podcast. I am your host and producer, Mille Yamomo. Thijs van der Geest is our sound engineer and sound editor. And Jean Bersena is our publicity manager. Our theme music is created by Marcus Hogerforst. Special thanks to Eric Lukasen and the Netherlands Institute for Sound and Vision. This podcast is funded by the Dutch Research Organization. If you would like to listen to other episodes of this program, subscribe to Sonic Entanglements at Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Pocket Casts. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more, you can head over to sonic-entanglements.com. 